Well, let's turn our attention towards today's message. We are just coming out of a series on the treasure principle, understanding God in a way that, that we put him as the king of not just our lives, but even our finances and our treasures and our talents. And today we're gonna head into what we call Advent. Now, Advent's a great word. Maybe you're used to this term, Advent. Uh, I think it's kind of, if you grew up in a Catholic background, Advent is something that's spoken a lot more in that area, but Advent is something that we've enjoyed here at church for a long time. We've had uh, multiple Decembers where, can you, it's December. Oh, it's December. We've had multiple Decembers where we've kind of journeyed through Advent. Uh, but before we kind of get into this process, I thought it would be good to just explain this a little bit. And so Advent is a term that comes from the Latin word Adventus. And Adventus means coming. And so simply put, for, for our basic understanding, Advent means coming. It's a season of preparation. And Advent was traditionally connected to a, a festival in January that had to deal with baptism, and believers would celebrate 40 days of penance and prayer and fasting as they prepared to celebrate this occasion. Uh, but it, it wasn't really linked to Christmas. It wasn't about until the 6th century that, that the Roman Christians began to link Advent to, Christ, to Christmas. And it was always in a sense of, of Advent looking forward to the coming of Christ the second time. God, God is going to come again. He's going to establish his worldly, everlasting kingdom on earth. And so in the 6th century, they begin to tie it to Christmas. And then later, somewhere in the Middle Ages, we, we know that they began to link Christ's first coming to Advent and Christmas. And so here we are, modern day, and simply we celebrate Advent as the four Sundays in December before Christmas. That is a season for us to prepare our hearts towards the ancient expectancy of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, arriving here, but also to serve as a preparatory season for us to kind of look forward and renew our desire for God's second coming, when he's going to come and judge the earth and establish his kingdom here. And so when we join together, and this is what I love about um, this term liturgy, okay? That's a term that's kind of, there are thousands of churches that are celebrating this event called Advent together as a church worldwide. That er there are people sitting in seats throughout the world that are talking about the coming of the Messiah. And I just think that, that just, there's something beautiful in that. And what we are trying to do as a, a church is, is to connect back to this ancient expectancy of the coming Messiah. And that desire simply just kind of leads us into like, he must be more and I must be less. Like, he must increase in my life and I must decrease. And so that's the season of Advent, this preparatory time where we consider the implications of a baby God, Jesus, Emmanuel, and then we look forward to the coming of Christ. And so we are connecting that term Advent with some thoughts around uh, a concept called the line. Uh, there is a moment in history in which God redefined how he was going to interact with his people. There was a moment in time that changed the relationship with God forever. And it was so colossal and so huge that we changed our calendars to revolve around it. Jesus Christ, when he was born, it was such an epic deal that we changed our clocks, our, ch our calendars. Can you imagine that? That a birth mattered that much that you were we were literally said, okay, start, start our lives from there on. 
And so in 2018, we celebrate 2,018 years from the incarnation of God on earth. I think that's phenomenal. We still celebrate that today. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the difference that Christ has made. We're going to talk about why we needed that dividing line and what life was like before that dividing line and uh, try to find some things that we can learn in it, that we can draw our attention towards. But overall, we're prayerful that, that this season called Advent might create in us uh, um, uh, just a, a sense of awe and wonder about who Christ is and what he has done for us, but most importantly, why we need him. We don't want to just celebrate Advent in a way that's all about the pageantry and the wonder and the, the, the pomp and circumstance of Christmas, which I don't even know what that, pomp and circumstance, like who uses that phrase anymore? Like, it's like a thing for orange juice, like that's pompy or that's not so pompy. Uh, but we're going to use it because I'm ADD, and that's what I'm thinking right now. So we don't want it just to be something that we're celebrating these kind of hollow traditions, but we want to understand the coming of Christ, his arrival, as something that is meaningful. And so I'll just honest with, me, with you, like um, a, a great sadness of mine, uh, something that uh, I get frustrated in is, is to watch uh, just well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians uh, convey the need for Jesus, why you should begin a personal relationship with God by speaking to people in terms that describe uh, a life that is better because of Jesus, right? And, and that is true. Like, life is better because of Jesus, but Jesus didn't die to give me a better life. He didn't die just to give me a better life. Sometimes in our effort to, to, to help people understand Jesus, we, we elevate these emotional realities and we say that Jesus came and, and he wants you to be healthy and happy and, 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 and wealthy and peaceful and calm. And so you need to believe in Jesus because he wants to give you those things. Is that true? Can those realities happen in a healthy relationship with Jesus? Yes, yes. But he didn't die to make you happy. He didn't die to make you healthy. He didn't die to make you peaceful and calm. Actually, in your word, it, it never promises us any of those things. God never promised us happiness. Far too often, we can compel Jesus Christ as this benevolent God who loves you. And you should follow Jesus because he loves you more than anything. Is that true? Yes, he loves us more than what we know. Is that what he died for? No. He died for our sins. When we elevate our own emotional realities and our own emotional brokenness as the reason that we need Christ, not only does it corrupt the gospel, but it serves as a vaccine that robs the power of the gospel in the future for those that we care and love about. Because when somebody comes to Christ because they believe that, they, that he's going to make them happier or give them a better life, and ultimately when they walk into the faith and it doesn't happen, they leave the faith. And when they leave the faith, they say things like, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. As if it was something to sample at Costco. I tried it and it didn't fit my palate. It didn't taste good to me. And so let's just kind of out of the chute, right? We're right out of the chute here. 
Let's just kind of get this straight as we get into Advent, as we celebrate the reason that Christ came. God was not looking down in the earth and looked at us and said, hey, and these guys, they're just not feeling good about themselves. They seem to be a little depressed. You know what? I need to fix that. How would I do that? Well, I know. I'll just rob myself of all of my splendor, of all of my glory, of all of my perfection, and I'll take on the flesh of my disobedient creation in a baby so I can be mocked and spat on, tortured and killed. Also, Sally over there could feel good about herself when she's drinking tea. It's not the reason for Christmas. That is not why we need Christ. That's not what Christ offers to us. What Christmas implies is that the God of the universe acted definitively, gracefully, and decisively in an effort to cure the human condition of sin and death that separates us from him. A condition that as much as we want to try, you and I cannot fix on our own. The reason that we need Christ and that we are so looking forward to his return and why we can share in the expectancy of a baby coming in Bethlehem is because we need Jesus to make us whole again. We need Jesus to take our wrath and our sin. God is so perfect, he is so holy, so glorious that he cannot be in the mere presence of imperfection and sin. And so without the birth of Christ, we are still enemies of God and are doomed to eternal justice as such. Christ came to take our sin, to defeat death, to bring his people back. He came for your soul, not just for your emotions. Christmas is much bigger than just about our desires. All of your emotional issues and brokenness are rooted in a fractured relationship with God. And in that fractured relationship with God, we fill that void with trinkets and toys that leave us worse than when we began. And so as we come to Christmas, let us have the right thoughts about who Jesus is and why he came. That we would acknowledge our brokenness, that you would understand, because it's true, that your way's not working and that you would humbly place yourself under Christ and expose your brokenness and confess your dependency on him and say, Father, not my way, but yours, God. Lord, help me to do what you say and take what you give and nothing more. And so as we sung that song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, know that that isn't a plea for God to come and make me happy or bring me comfort, but it is a cry that the God of the universe would hear us. That a pleading to bring us back, to restore his people and live with us again, it is a desperation that he would heal our sickness, our sin, a hope for something better than this life that we have on this earth, a right standing in front of God, salvation through Christ, by his grace through faith. And so this morning, I want to focus on why Christ came. I want to make sure that we don't miss this point as we begin to celebrate this season and get swept into all, the, all of the pageantry of all of it. What does it mean? And we're going to use our ancestors. We're going to look at the Israelites before the coming of Christ to kind of get some 
meaningful understanding about how we could miss the Messiah even today because our friends, the Israelites, our ancestors, they missed him even though they had abundant evidence to know that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, that he was the promised one. And so we're going to use lessons that they learned, and I think that they echo well into our lives today that speak of how we can miss Jesus around this time. And so if you are a Jewish person in 20 B.C., I'm not sure that many people have imagined that before, but maybe just for now we'll imagine that we're a Jewish person in 20 BC, and you're looking forward to the coming Messiah, the promised one that God had spoken about through the prophets, through his text, you're anticipating his arrival, you would have great hope because you have been living under an oppressive rule from the Roman government that does allow you to practice your religion, but not in any way that is in conflict with their beliefs or their practices. And so you live under this oppressive rule. And in that day, to stay holy, to be right in front of God before Jesus, you would have to do some very specific things that you would have to offer sacrifices in some very specific ways to deal with very specific sin, that you would have to celebrate traditions and festivals that would help you remember and remind yourself of who you are and who your people were. You would have to obey as close as you could all of the ceremonial and moral laws, the law of Moses, as close as you could, or risk public humiliation, if not greater consequences, even to the point of death if you were straying away the law of Moses. And then you just had to, you had to wash yourself like you've never washed before. You had ritual washings about everything. If you came in contact with this and that, you're washing yourself all the time. You were towing this line under an oppressive rule that was already enough. But in that, you're towing this line where you're walking in fear that you don't mess this thing up because you don't want anyone else to notice. And so you lived your life just rule following, fearing, living in tradition. Can you place yourself there? Can you even think what that would be like to be under that weight? And if we can, you can begin to understand in that position how one would just die for the thought of a savior, for the promised one, the abundant hope that was placed in that. And so these Israelites, through our prophets and through our texts, they would have known a few things to be looking for in this coming promised one. There are lots of prophecies that we can look at. We're going to look at just a few specifically. There are lots of things that they could have noticed and would want, were looking for uh, to, to recognize the promised one uh, as they're waiting in almost this, the same kind of bondage that, that our Israelite friends in Exodus were waiting in. Uh, the, old, the Old Testament talks about a Messiah providing uh, the same sort of exodus as, as Moses did for his people then. And, and this is what it would say in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. These were the prophecies that, that would have been known to them. Uh, they, they would have known and been looking for the fact that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be a prophet like uh, that of Moses. I, I, there's just some interesting parallels. If you guys kind of think, uh, if you know scripture, that, that you've got people living on an oppressive rule, You've got somebody that's going to come and deliver them. You get parallel things. Moses goes on a mountaintop, gets the Ten Commandments. Jesus goes and gives his new commands on the mount. And so there's some parallels here. Uh, he, he would enter Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey. 
He would be an everlasting king. He would come from the town of Bethlehem. He would come from the line of David. And he would suffer and be rejected by his own people. These are just a few of many things that we know present day in the word that Jesus fulfilled all of these. But these are the things that would have shaped a 20 BC Jewish person's anticipation. But listen, because of their position, they looked inwardly and misread the text and anticipated something completely different than what God had in mind. Because of their oppression, they were looking not for a king that would restore salvation, but they were looking for a worldly king that would bring them prosperity and greatness in the moment. Understandable in that time and age. They were looking for somebody to come and crush their enemies. And we see this kind of over and over in the interactions that Jesus has in the Gospels with others. We know that God had a different plan. But it was because they were looking for the wrong things that a lot of them missed it. They missed Jesus who was so evident because they were thinking about themselves and not thinking about God. They missed something spectacular. Israel wanted an earthly king. They wanted a king that would reign in power and justice on this earth. What they didn't understand that is that God did not have a short-term plan for their prosperity in the land, but rather he had a long-term plan that would bring salvation to the world. And they would have read verses like the one that we're going to read in Isaiah 52 and thought of it in a way that it mentions this word king, that there was going to be this king much like David, that they were going to have this empire, this Jewish empire again. And they would have misapplied it into their lives. Isaiah 52 was written uh, hundreds of years before Christ comes on the scene. And, And this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah about the coming promised one. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be lifted and high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. These verses are about our Savior, the the one that we're celebrating here today. These verses speak to the fact that he is to be lifted and exalted in our lives as the preeminent position in our lives. About how astonishing Jesus would be in his works and his deeds. Jesus literally eradicated disease in the time that he lived but it also hints to the lowly status that Jesus would come in, that he would be so overlooked. He didn't have a distinct beauty about him. He didn't possess this kind of flashy nature of an epic king or the beauty of an earthly prince, but yet it says that he would sprinkle 
the nations. And that word sprinkle means that he would bring atonement through blood, that he would bring atonement to many. And despite his lowly stature and his appearance, he would make kings shudder. And what I love specifically about this prophecy in Isaiah 52 is the last two verses that mean the world to us. It says, For that which has not been told them, they see. And for that which they have not heard, they understand. Like this verse is for you and I. I'm going to take a leap of faith and say here, most of us in this room didn't grow up in a Jewish background. Maybe a few of you. Israel at this moment in the 20 BCs was God's people, his elect people. He preserved them. He cared for them. He was going to save the world through them. Christ came and brought reconciliation to the world. He brought grace to the world. No longer is God's salvation contained to one particular group of people, but rather it's to the world. And so we see all the things that we know about God today, you and I, because Christ came. We can understand the things of God and the word because Christ came. He granted us vision and understanding through Christ. And so what what we want to see today is we want to look in the folly of our ancestors, those who kind of lived during the time of Christ's birth, as, as an example of what we should not do today as we reflect and prepare for our celebration of God intervening into the world. Their example should tell us that we should be careful about evaluating and elevating our own feelings and understandings onto what God has for us and what God wants to do in us. And so listen, the mistake these Israelites made during this time of the line, this A.D. and B.C., was using their own desires to project the need of wanting an earthly king. They wanted an earthly king. And they missed Jesus because they were blinded by their own desire to have a king to make them prosperous again. Today, we don't share in that same desire. Nobody in here says, you know, what we need is just a good king. Nobody says that anymore. But what we do create is realities for ourselves where we miss Jesus because we have this thought, that we want to be king. We don't struggle with wanting an earthly king. We miss the meaning of Christmas because we want to be king. No longer are we content with just having king of earth that would prosper us. We want to be our own kings of our own kingdoms. We want to be the one that calls the shots, that gets what we want, when and where we want it. We want to have control, and we don't want anybody else speaking into that. We don't want anybody else to tell us what to do. In fact, there are many of us that think that we are the best equipped to handle all the things that go on in our life by what we feel and what we think. We want to be king. So listen, let's just make this clear. There there is a bend to every one of us. A bend that leads us away from God, not towards God. Uh, The word says in Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it it leads to death. There is a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death. Just consider this. Has anybody betrayed you more than you have? 
Has anyone tricked you more than you have? You have time and time again, because I know I have, put your hope in something only to find that that thing betrayed you. It seemed right to you. There is a way that seems right to you and I, a way that seems good, but it ends in death. We want to be king. And we are missing the need for Jesus and the reason for Jesus because of it. The Apostle Paul speaks about this over and over, and specifically he speaks about it in Romans 1 well. And we're going to read this together. Paul is talking about people who, despite the evidence of God and the knowledge of God, have turned internal to look at themselves. And so the they's and the them's in this passage refer to the unrighteous. And this is what it says in Romans 1. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is God's creation living for themselves and rejecting the very fabric of its creation. If there is a place that we get off track when it comes to celebrating and anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ or Jesus himself, it's here. We turn internal and we choose to elevate and exalt our own hearts in our own ways rather than the servant Christ who has made himself evident in our lives. So we can gather here, listen, and celebrate the birth, a season, a reason, but if we don't understand the necessity for Jesus, the need for Jesus, then all of this pageantry is just marketing. Just a hollow tradition that revolves around us getting what we want and doing what we want. So listen, as we move into a season of Advent, as we anticipate that ancient expectancy in the Messiah and the, the future glory of his second coming, would you allow yourself the ability just to check your heart? Just to... To, to, to get below the pride and, and to say, God, am I living for you? Are you my king? Or, or is it me that wants to be king? Are you the Lord of my life or am I the Lord of my life? It's important to me as a shepherd that we would enter into this holy time with the proper thoughts and perspective. I have found it, unfortunately, to be true for so many 
that, that Christ has been sold in a way that doesn't give him just, justice or, or doesn't bring him honor. He, he is sold in a way to us that speaks to human emotional needs that allow us to remain in control and put Christ as our servant as if we could make the God of the universe our servant. Why do we sell Christ in that manner? Well, in this consumeristic market, you fish with the bait that catches the most fish. And if you tell somebody that X is going to bring you a better quality of life and going to make you happy and make all your realities change, you're going to catch lots of fish. We have allowed people to become their own kings and just add Jesus on the side. And then you get to sit with people like I do and listen to them say that I just thought if I gave my life to Christ that my desire for that would vanish, that it would replace, that he would just do it for me. And it didn't work. And so I'm done. Could it be that Christ hasn't underdelivered? Could it just be that you've never met Jesus? Could it be that you've started to believe promises for you that God's never made to you? You have no promise of a life that's filled with happiness. You have a promise of a life that's filled with joy. Struggles should not surprise us. The Bible's full of them. That's why I love the word. It's so honest. Bad things happen. There are losses. There are days in our life that require disciplined pursuits. It can be feeling like we're going up a mountain. Let us celebrate Christmas by understanding that God has stripped himself of all his perfection and glory. And came to earth, came that far to deal with a condition of sin that you could not fix. That he granted you salvation and that he is the one that is to be exalted in our life and lifted high. He is the one that we are dependent on. He is the king of our lives. And we should submit to our, him, ourselves to him, elevate our hearts towards him, and delight in our position as sons and daughters of Christ. That is the most sustaining thing in our life, that we will find flourishing and fulfillment in that reality. Because we need this baby in the manger. It's just not something fun. We are nothing without him. Nothing to offer God but Jesus. And so as we enter in this season and as a, the band comes out, I just am challenging us to let the Lord strip our hearts that he would help us to dethrone our own desires, our own wants off the throne that we would put him as the king of our lives, not because we want happier lives, but because without him, we're bankrupt. Jesus fills a void that we have been trying to fill 
ever since the garden. And to fill that void, we have to understand, we gotta have him. He's not a luxury, he's not an add-on. He's the savior. And so we're gonna head into a time of worship. If, if you just need some prayer in your life, if you just need prayer over that reality, Join us. If, if you have some hard things in your life, know that we'd love to pray for you. Pray for you. But we, could we just stand and worship our King as we close here?